Hey everybody, welcome back to the Something to Bless podcast with me, Barbara Gian at barbaragian.com. Merry post-Christmas. It is the day after. You're probably just lounging around in your pajamas still and looking at a big pile of mess. I don't know. Every house is different, but that's usually the case for our family. So I hope you had an amazing Christmas with your family, your loved ones, and just that you were filled with the Holy Spirit through this time and continue to be for the new year ahead. This is one of my most favorite times of the year because it's just a time of renewal, right? Any first day of the month, first day of the week, but especially the beginning of a new year is always so exciting for me. Well, guys, today I have a very special guest. We are talking to my pastor, Pastor Doug Reed, and I'm going to share more about him in just a minute. Before we jump into that, I want to say thank you to our sponsor. This show is brought to you by the Always Faithful Prayer Devotional and Journal. This is created by yours truly, and it is something that I wanted to have for myself and for everybody else to start off your week with the Word of God and get into His voice. There's a lot in this journal. There's space for you to write out your gratitude and your prayers and your uh, daily declarations and other thoughts and notes. I have questions in there that I just offer as a way for you to kind of reflect uh, more on the theme of the week. But really, really powerful book that I use every morning and not just on a weekly basis. And I know you're going to love it. And it's a great gift. So grab one for you and uh, a friend. The link for that is always um, in the show notes. So you can find it there. Okay, also another plug. Um, If you haven't subscribed to my YouTube channel, I am reading the Bible, the New Testament, I'm going through it every day, Monday through Friday. Usually the videos are about five minutes or less. Some of them go over, but that's rare. I would love to see you over there. And man, if there's any way to invest in your life, it's going to be through reading the Word of God. It is going to impact and affect every part of your life. So you cannot make a better investment than just getting into the Word, however you do that. But If this seems like a convenient way for you to do that, and it is, join me over there. Subscribe at Barbara Gian Official. The link for that is also in the show notes. Everything's in the show notes, okay? All you got to do is scroll down and look there. Also, remember to rate and review the show. I would love your five-star rating and a few words about what you enjoy about this podcast, how this podcast has served you, and then, of course, share it with a friend. Okay, guys, Pastor Doug Reed is with us today, and I really just wanted to pick his brain, ask him some questions, get a better feel for who he is as a man, but also as a pastor, because, gosh, I think that being a pastor or stepping into ministry is such a big job for anybody to have. And I just, I pray for our pastors because they're speaking to so many people. And I would imagine they just have to feel like they got to get it right for the sake of God. They want to glorify him the best way that they can. And I just think that's a lot to, to carry on their shoulders. And also just, you know, having to be a source for so many people. So they hold a special place in my heart. My pastor holds a special place in my heart and my family's heart. We love him and appreciate him. And I know you will too. So you get to hear from my pastor, Doug Reed. Here we go. Oh, shoot. You know what? I've been doing this lately, ready to go. And then I trick you. Surprise. I still have a few more things to say. Okay. I did want to say, because I forgot to ask about a few things during the interview. One of the things that I wanted to share with you guys is that my pastor and his wife, Gretchen, they lead a Facebook group and on YouTube, I believe also, Doug and Gretchen in the morning. It's at 714 every morning and they go until about eight o'clock and they go through a few things during that time. But the heart of it is Bible reading and just doing that in community live. Five days a week, these people are there live. So if you want to go through the Bible and just have a community to do that with live every morning, you can join them. Coast City has their own Facebook group. You just join it and then you'll get notified whenever they do that. But yes, back to my pastor, a couple of things 
that I wanted to honor him for is just his ability to show up so consistently as a humble and kind, bold, but loving pastor and leader for our church. And his character just shines through in his family and the church body that we have at our church. Just love him and appreciate him. And okay, now I am going to share him with you. Here we go. Okay, well, I am so excited to have you and I have been meaning to have you or ask you at least to come on the show for a long time, but you had a really eventful year this year. You had personal loss. You lost your dad, which I'm so sorry. And I know how difficult that is. I don't know if if you feel the same way, but it's almost like you see life differently once you lose a parent. Yeah. No, it's been a, it's been a really different season as we've walked through this losing a dad. This is the first time we've had someone this close to our family. So involved, you know, part of our family that we've lost. And so it's been a really challenging time to, to walk through that as I've spent most of my life helping people manage grief or tragedy or, or whatever as, as a pastor. Now to sit and look at it square in the face, it always looks different when you're staring it in your face personally. It just looks different. And it has definitely been that I've learned a ton. I was telling our staff this morning that one of the things I've learned is that all of us deal with it in different ways. Uh, so for me, I have found one of the the ways that's been very cathartic in my life is I, I'm doing a lot of writing, writing mm-hmm. more than normal. And just what I do anyway, but I'm just spending a lot of time writing. So, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. definitely been a different season. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great that you have found that spending time in journaling or writing it is so therapeutic for so many different things in life that you go through, but you've also had a move recently. I know that alone is such a big event because it, you, you never really realize how much you have to move until you have to move. And it's, it could be stressful while you're leading a church, but you've also had some really exciting things too. I've seen recently your family's growing, which is what could be more exciting, right? Then I think you have two new grandbabies that are on the way. Can you believe that? I feel blessed and old at the same time. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that day. My daughter just got married in March. So she told us from the get, like, it's not going to happen right away. So don't get crazy. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that day. I think it's such a special thing to be a grandparent. And then also, tell me about the launching of Coast City Worship, because I didn't even know that that was in motion until everything came out just recently. Yeah. Well, and some people, and you may not know this either, Barbara, but my history was in leading worship. So prior to coming here, our entire career as pastors has included leading worship for huge conferences, conventions, large church in Sacramento. That was my role. That's what I did, or that was part of my role as a pastor. And then I was also on the speaking team, but so I have a big history in that. So we've been kind of waiting for this moment for this opportunity. And so kind of behind the scenes, we've been working on this for years and Drew and Leek, it's been one of their dreams. And so we just finished all of the the legal stuff behind it. And we now have Coast City. We are a publisher right here at the church. And uh, so we can publish all of our own music, our own songs. So you're going to see a lot coming in the future. Uh, in fact, we're getting ready on the 17th to record another new song, which I cannot wait for you guys. I love the first one, Territory, but oh I feel like God. this next song <laughs> is even is even better. And we've already been doing it in church. And most people will have no idea that it was a song that Drew and Lee wrote together. But yeah, it's probably one of the most exciting things moving forward that we've done. So that day, there'll be a bunch of cameras and a big crew here and just a, an exciting day. And the first song we released has done super well. It's being listened to all over the world already. And so, yeah, yeah. really thankful. Wow, that's amazing. And for the listeners, Drew and Leek are your son and daughter-in-law, and they are the worship yep. 
leaders, right? They're in charge of the worship yeah, team. We, yeah, their their official title here is creative pastors at Coast City, and they handle anything that requires creativity. And, <laughs> and he, so hopefully yeah. yeah. They do a really, really great job with all of the things. So that, yeah, that is super exciting. And you're right. I had no idea that that was your background and that was something that is coming. So super exciting. Everybody must download the song territory. I don't know how this happens, but every single time I get in my car, because I downloaded it when it came out, it automatically plays. It doesn't matter what else I have hooked up or what I'm trying to like, that's the first song that just goes off in my car every time I start it. So I love that song so much. It's so powerful and yay. I'm looking forward to the second one. Okay. Yeah. So we talked about your dad, but I have more to say on your dad because we went to the service and can I just say, I've been to, I don't know, too many to count services, life services for people since I was a child. Never, ever have I or my husband, we, we talked about it. Have we ever been to a true, what we felt like was a celebration of life before? I'm like, get me, what's the, the name of the ministry that your dad ran for the church for people who couldn't afford to? Crisis care. Yeah. Crisis care ministry. I'm like, I have life insurance. I'll pay for it. Get me on the wait list. And whoever coordinated and planned your dad's services, get me on the wait list. When I, when I go, when I bounce out of here, I need to have a service, something like your dad's. It was so amazing, man. And to see your Well, family- I think it's so cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I think it's so cool that he, uh, I mean, that's what he did for us like five years ago. I just had this idea like, wow, what if? As a church, what if we created a ministry that did funerals? Because funerals, in all honesty, Barbara, funerals across America have turned into big businesses. Isn't it sad that we live in a we live in a society that turned people's pain into big business? But that's what's happened across America. And what I just said, what if we started a ministry that's free, that we do all of it free of charge? And I pulled him in. I said, dad, would you want to lead this? Cause he, you know, he's, he's in his later years in life. He was retired from pastoring and he's done a million funerals and homegoing celebrations. And I said, would you want to help lead this and create this part of ministry? And he said, oh, I've never heard of that either, but he said, I'm totally, I'm totally down. So he led and little did we know as soon as it started, we would go into COVID and we would do literally, I, I, I can, couldn't even tell you at this point, I could have somebody pull up the stats, but we did so many funerals for families and people that didn't have anybody that lost somebody during COVID and didn't have a way to do a funeral. We did it outside here at Coast City and it became one of the most profound things I've ever been involved in, in ministry by loving people and not taking advantage of them during their hardest times of life. Yeah. And you're right. It is such a business and it's so sad because again, I've had, you know, so many people close to me and people that I know of that have passed that didn't have life insurance and just were unable to afford anything. And in those situations get stuck with really sad arrangements that they have to just take what they can get basically. But it's such an amazing thing that, that the church is able to do. So I was just blown away by everything, every single detail that your dad's service had. And we were just speechless, like, oh my gosh. And then his legacy alone, you know, all of his children, you and your sisters and your spouses and your children and nieces and nephews and everybody on the stage, so gifted with voices. I'm like, how does this happen in one family? It's just, it's so good. It's so, so good. But I also want to talk about, because you've shared this with the church before, the story of, now, I don't know, I think Gretchen, who's your wife, who was on the show previously, shared that, are you from South Dakota or were you just living there during high school? No, I I have a crazy life because my dad planted churches. So I was actually born in Farmington, New Mexico on an Indian reservation. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I was born in Farmington, New Mexico, on an Indian reservation. Then we moved to Nebraska, 
in a town called Columbus, Nebraska. And then we moved to another town in Nebraska called Chapel, Nebraska. And then we moved from Chapel to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I was there for pretty much all of my, you know, elementary, junior high and, and high school until my senior year. And then, then that's when we moved to California. And tell us about that year. Because I this story, if I didn't know you, I'd say, no way. That's There's no way. Tell us about when your family or your parents, I guess, decided to move to California. Yeah. dad still found a way well, you, to get to your games. Well, you did find the stuff. Oh, I can't believe you, you actually found details that I'm a little surprised about. But I'm, I'm good talking about it. It was a, so just before my senior year started in high school, obviously grown up there, had the same friends and family, our same friends all while growing up through school. My parents had an opportunity to take leadership on at a church in Stockton, the, the beautiful paradise uh, city of Stockton, California. I'm saying that. And actually, the church they took on leadership was uh, just a side note was on the it's on a street called Kelly Drive, which was one of the roughest streets for years. Every year, it's one of the top streets with the most 911 calls in the country. And the church was located right there off I-5. You can see it in Stockton, in the north part of Stockton, when you go through the the city. And my mom and dad came to me in that summer and they said, hey, we're going to go visit this church. We might we might go check out this church. And I said, okay. And I was kind of sarcastic. And I was like, well, I'm not leaving anyway, because I've got to finish my senior year of high school. And so I came to visit. Funny story. My dad spoke at this church and they asked me to come up. I was, you know, like I said, a kind of a cocky high schooler. And they were like, so what, what it is, you know, why would you want to come to California? And I said, well, honestly, the only reason I'd want to come to California right now is I keep hearing about the California girls, but I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> and my dad, my dad literally grabbed my arm and he's like, okay, we're in front of a whole church right now. There's 500 people standing in front of us and you just said something crazy. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yeah. Anyway, people, people laughed and they thought it was hilarious. But the funniest part was after service, I had all these families bringing their daughters up going, Hey, here's my daughter. She's a California girl which was, I was shocked, but yeah, we went back home. They decided to go ahead and, and take on the task of that church. And I literally kind of went into a rebellious time of my life where I was like, man, I, you know, I, I don't feel good about this. I, we've been here our whole lives. I, I was the captain of the football team and, and I was like, can I, you know, would you guys allow me to stay here and finish my senior year of football? And then I guess I can come down after the come California after the first semester. So it really, Barbara, it really threw me for a loop right there in my life. It was a wild thing. I lived in a, I lived in a little hotel room by myself, my first semester of high school. And that was really crazy and weird and not probably not good and healthy for a senior in high school to do that by himself. And I, you know, so I stayed there. My dad did everything in his power and my mom to, you know, to stay connected closely. My dad would drive out every Friday night to our games and watch our games and then drive back and preach on Sunday morning. So he would watch the game, get back in the car, drive all the way back to California and to, to preach on Sunday morning. And that was probably the saving grace for me that he was willing to pay that price to, to be there because the rest of it was just not, I mean, you can imagine it's not healthy. You're living by yourself your senior year and it's a, you're the, you're one of the captains of the football team and you've long-term friends everywhere. And you're frustrated with God because, Hey, God, we didn't expect this. Why, why, why is this happening? Lost the connection with the church for a little while. And yeah, it was rough. And then that year came to California, finished school a semester early because I was a pretty smart kid in high school and finished early and 
took on a management job at a huge sporting goods company. For those in California, a lot of times remember Copeland Sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, yeah, managed a big sporting goods company for right out of high school for a while. And that's where I met Gretchen. And she worked for me there. Oh, and wow. So that's, yeah, that, yeah, that was all part of that year. And it was, you know, wild. So hopefully my story was similar to hers too. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, she didn't, she didn't get too into the nitty gritty, but, but we about to Pastor Doug. So just brace yourself. Okay. Okay. So, oh no, okay. I'm just, I'm just, okay. So okay. I just thought when you shared that, you've shared it a couple of times at church service, how far your dad traveled to make it back to your Friday night games and then go right back to California so that he could do his job as a pastor. Unbelievable. Just something to, you know, you'll cherish forever. I'm sure just that memory, knowing his sacrifice. So your dad was a pastor and you were growing up under that. And that can be, be a different experience for every pastor's kid. But when did you decide that that was also going to be your path? Yeah. Oh man, that's such a good question. So I had actually felt like in a church youth camp years before, I remember being in a service and I literally felt like I heard God speak to me and, and say, Doug, I want you to help people. That was how my call happened. Like, I want you to, I want you to help people. I've got some plans for you and I want you to follow my call. I want you to give up other stuff. I felt like it was when Jesus looked at the the disciples and say, you know, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He was talking to the fishermen that day they were getting ready to go out and catch fish. And he said, Hey, I want you to stop what you're doing and follow me. And I felt like, you know, I, I didn't know how to respond at the time, but I just said, okay, God, I'm, I'm with you and I'm willing to do whatever you've called me to. And I experienced some profound revelations of God in, in the midst of some some really weird times growing up as a pastor's kid, you know, it's challenging. I think everybody growing up, whatever your parents do, there's parts of our lives that all feel somewhat challenging. I think when you grow up as a pastor's kid, the part that is challenging is you feel like you grow grow up in a glass house and, and you have to have your act together and your family has to have your act together. And I learned you know, I've learned over the years that that wasn't necessarily the case, but that was really, that was really challenging for me because I'm not the guy to try to put on a show. I'm like, I am who I am. And if you don't like it, I'm sorry, but this is who I am. And so that call on my life was super, to, to make that make sense that I explained all that, I was like, wait a minute, God, I don't fit that mold. I'm not a pastor. Those guys have their act together. Like I, I, you know, I may say cuss words at times, like, Lord, I'm not that guy. And I fell in love, Barbara, with the fact that I felt like God looked at me and said, Doug, that's exactly what I want from you. I just want you to know that I love you for who you are. And I want you to know that I want to use that. You don't have to fit into other men's mold to be used by me. I want you to be who I've created you to be. And then I'll use you the way I've intended to use you. So for me, from a very young age, I felt like I had that call on my life. And then I lost my way a little bit during my, you know, during kind of that senior year season, I I, probably two or three years in a row where I just, I was frustrated and angry and it was kind of my I wouldn't say I was a prodigal son because I didn't run away or take off. I was still around and I was still, I still lived a really good life, but I wasn't, I had a bad attitude. You know, I don't know how else to describe that. Yeah. It just wasn't your, your nature automatically to say, yep, this is my path and I'm going to do it willingly and cheerfully, I guess. And no, I had to, I had to figure that out. But I like that because that, that just is so real. Like, I feel like I can relate to that. God put something on your heart and you're not exactly in the position or, or belief that 
you're prepared for that path or that call, but you want to be obedient. So, you know, it's like a, it's an inner struggle. It's a struggle with God. You go back and forth and eventually he wins because he always wins. Right. But it's a, it could be a dilemma for a lot of people when there's a, a strong nudge or calling that you just don't know if you're ready for or qualified for or, or whatnot. But so thankful that you decided to follow that path because boy, like we are so, so blessed with your leadership and all the things. And we're going to talk more about that in just a minute. I want to talk about something that your hot babe of a wife did share with us um, when she was a guest on the show. (laughs) She shared about you guys finding yourselves pregnant before you were married. And I just have to imagine that you each experienced that so differently because just as a man, as a young man, you have a different sort of burden on you to now provide for and protect. But also, like you mentioned, there were higher expectations just being or or more eyes on you being the son of a pastor. So I want to ask you what that time was like for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting. You know, that was during those years where I just, I still loved Jesus desperately, but I was so confused with life in general. And I met this girl who worked for me, Gretchen, and I was like, wow, everything, it felt like everything in life stopped for a little bit. (laughs) And I was just blown away by who she was as a human. And we had had conversations about spending the rest of our lives together. You didn't, you know, it was, it happened fast with us. And, you know, and I was working, I was, I was actually making quite a bit of money already as a 19 year old kid. And, and I just fell head over heels for Gretchen. And I think the feeling for both of us was, was very mutual in, in terms of just where we were in life. And so behind the scenes in my brain, I'm just so dis disillusioned with, with the church, with my view of, you know, the church. Like I said, it was never, I was never disillusioned with who Jesus was. I felt like I had that identity that he had given me a, a very pure identity. This is why it's so important we don't get an identity that is born out of the church, but the identity is born out of Christ himself. Because if we if we find our identity in something that's created by man or by people, it, it's so fallible. However, when we find our identity in Christ, it's something we can hold on even when we make horrible mistakes. And so um I remember we had talked about getting married. We wanted to talk to our parents a little bit about what that would look like. We didn't have a timeline and we, we fell, you know, and made a mistake and, and Gretchen got pregnant. We jokingly later have said, you know, if I look at her funny, she gets pregnant. That's just kind of how it is. She's like, that's just how it works. (laughs) And so, you know, that's not what happened. I didn't just look at her funny. I mean, we fell morally. We and, wouldn't uh, fall for it. We would not fall for that. So don't even try to trick us. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, it was full failure <laughs> on my end, I think. And and so I just remember having to tell our parents, and I had to tell my dad. And I was at work. He called me, and he was saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're on our." Way. They had been on a vacation and said, "We're coming home." And Little did I know they were outside the store when they called. So I thought they were on the road. And I was like, Dad, I have to talk to you. Oh, shoot. You know, when you when you have something like that said, and you just, like, even saying that just now just gives me a pit in my stomach. Mm. Like, I have to tell you something. And I remember Dad, you know, going, what's wrong, Doug? And he goes, we're actually outside. We're not on the road here you know, he said, we're parked outside. And, and I said, well, you probably be better because I'm in here working. You're better off if you guys stay in the car and just listen to what I have to say. And uh, I said, why don't we talk? We get home. And he goes, no, just tell me now. 
Tell me what's going on. And I said, dad, I don't want to do this over the phone. He's like, no, no, no. You're going to, I want you to tell me right now. And uh, so I told him, I said, dad, I feel, I totally feel like I failed you and mom, but here's the deal. Gretchen is pregnant. <laughs> and all that was, was silence on the other end of the, the line. And uh, it was, I call it devastating silence. On my end. <laughs> I was just like, uh, and then I just, I could hear, you know, my dad kind of, he, he broke into tears. One thing, if you know my dad very well, he was very dramatic and he broke and he was literally crying out loud on the phone. And my mom was there and it was my, both my sisters were in the car with my mom and dad. And they were like, well, we'll, you know, we'll see you when, when you get home. And so we went through the next few days and it almost felt like morning in our house. Oh man. And uh, yeah, it was, it was tough. It was really tough. And it, you know, it, there were the, the expectations of not living in sin are good, right? Like that is good. But as humans, when we do fail and we fall for sin, the response to it, because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Yeah. So when we do sin or when our children sin, we have to find a way to respond that won't change the trajectory of people's lives. And it took my mom and dad a little bit to get there, but they got there. And I I told them, I said, listen, I, I know this is devastating, but I want you to know I want to marry this girl no matter what. I'm going to spend the rest of my life with her. And she wants to spend the rest of her life with me. And it's going to be, God is going to use this for good. I promise. And, you know, as you, you hear these things and you think like, how this sounds so devastating at the moment. Literally, one of the first things that I heard was, well, you know, I'm going to have to resign the church. I'm going to have to quit. We're going to have to move on. We can't even be in this. And I was like, wait a minute, hold, hold on. Like, you're just a human, dad. You're just a human. And you don't have to resign. You don't have to quit. This is why, and I told him at this point, I'm like, this is why this has been so hard for me to ever imagine even following Christ. Because if if your response to me, having making a mistake as a man, because I'm not even a child in your home anymore. Like, I'm a man. And if your response to me making a mistake is you have to change your whole life based on how this makes you look, then we're not even expressing who Christ really is. Mm-hmm. And there's no way that this is the case because the God I know, he takes our failures and he does something beautiful with them and he turns them into something so amazing that it crushes the enemy. And, and I just told him up front, I said, no matter how you respond, this is how we're going to respond. This is what we're going to do. And Gretchen's parents responded totally different. They, they handled it like so different and so positive. And, and I, it took, it took quite some time for me to walk through this with, with my dad specifically, my mom handled it really well but it took my dad a little bit of time and I understand why based on how he had been trained and grown up, growing up, I, I could totally understand. So I don't hold that against him at all. Shortly thereafter, we were able to move into a different kind of mindset where he didn't have, he was like, okay, well, I guess I don't have to resign. I don't have to move on. In fact, shortly thereafter, Drew was born we got married. So we just said, let's get married now. So Gretchen and I got married and we had a full church wedding at the church. And, and six months later, Drew was born. And now this kid that's writing this amazing music and doing just these incredible things. He, he wasn't a mistake. It wasn't a failure. It was a failure in our behavior at that moment, but God took that and did something spectacular with it. And so anybody out there that's listening that feel like, man, I've made decisions that have totally destroyed and undermined my life. Just, just know 
Those are the decisions that if you will give them to Christ and you will respond accordingly, he'll take those decisions and he'll do something beyond your wildest dreams with them. Amen to that. I was going to say, and look at Drew now, a healthy 30 something year old with this amazing song and ministry of his own and making babies of his own. Like it's a whole thing. It's a whole legacy and a whole thing that God had planned from the beginning to use for his glory. And, you know, you can see it so clearly now, so many years later, but it's just a a beautiful story of grace. And we are all bound to sin, no matter whose child you are, because we're all the same on that note. But I was um, thinking while you were talking about some of the pressure is now being a pastor yourself, you must, I mean, I don't know. This is what I think. And I think most of us think this way about when it comes to being a pastor is you are held to a higher standard in your role. How, how do you feel that pressure now? How is it being a pastor for you? Is that burden heavy? I don't know. I don't even know what how to ask the question. Yeah. It just seems like a, a really big job. Well, I, I think of it, I have to constantly go back to the word shepherd because it defines the word in my mind better than a pastor. Like it puts practical thinking behind the word pastor. And a shepherd is simply someone that does their best to serve the flock that he's caring for and does their best to keep everybody safe. So then you move that into the role of humanity and and pastors, and it's the way that I speak. And do I feel a pressure? I actually don't feel pressure. I God and I had this conversation like, Lord, if, if I have to live under this high-stress, pressurized situation, I don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I just know how to live life on full tilt, out loud, this is who I am. And I'm going to love you, God, with everything that I have, but but you're going to have to be the God that leads my path and directs me. So the only time that I feel pressure, I do feel pressure to communicate God's word well, like more of a responsibility than necessarily a pressure. And then there are times where I feel convicted of, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Like, that was not the way to respond to this situation, (laughs) you know, or you know, something like that where I'll feel that way. But the the thought of being a pastor in the world today, we, so, so let me give you some, some details. Like we're losing twice as many pastors right now in America as we're gaining. Yeah. So the career of being a pastor, people are running away from it. Pastors are quitting at a pace like they never have in the history of the United States. And young people are not signing up to be pastors the way they used to. And and it's because of the perceived glass house that you live in mm. that like, oh man, I'm gonna that kind of the the perspective that people have is I'm gonna live in this glass house. I'm gonna be under the scrutiny of everybody and I'm not even gonna make enough money to take care of my family. Like that's the per- mm-hmm. perception of people. And I, and I'm here to tell you, that's just not true. Like that might be a perception that is not our truth at all. We have been very, you know, thankful. Like we're not getting rich. I mean, in other ways I am, I'm storing up treasures in heaven all the time, but I'm not getting rich financially, but I'm taken care of number one. And number two, we just have the mindset of this is who God has called us to be. We're going to stick to that. And Lord, as far as people's perceptions, we can't live our life based on anybody else's perception. We've got to live life based on the call of God we feel for us. And so we've kind of taken that out. And my wife has, you know, Gretchen's been a super helpful part of that because as you, I'm sure heard when she's on here, she she doesn't have the ability to put on a mask. Like what you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And so God knew I needed a girl like that with her because I had grown up in a culture of, of you got to look right. You got to act right. You got to say all the perfect things. And so that caused you to put on what I call the plastic people mask. And 
that's not even an option with Gretchen. No. And you know what I love? Not the most, because I love a lot of things about her, but one of the things that instantly hooked me and it was like, that's my girl is her laugh. Like nobody laughs like Gretchen and I'm a laugh person. So I love to laugh, but when somebody has the laugh like Gretchen, well, nobody has a laugh like Gretchen, but I can listen to it all day long. I just love that. She's like, let's loose and laughs for any little thing. So I love that. Yeah, and I'm glad she, that you don't have yeah, pressure. She, yeah, I don't. I mean, I think there's probably moments like when you're leading, there's probably 12 or 1300 people that call our church home now, Coast City. Yeah. And so the only time where there feels like there's a little bit of pressure is when, uh, the wave tends to come and there's a lot of needs at a particular moment. And I, and I'll feel pressure of like, okay, I, I want to make sure I get to everybody. But I will say that's, I don't feel that pressure is from God. I always feel like it's more self-imposed. Yeah. And, and I actually don't feel it from our church either. I think we, God has blessed us with this amazingly authentic community that really does know. And they know like, Oh, these are just humans. And everybody has been so kind and so loving since we've been here. I don't feel that pressure from people. Sometimes I'll put it on myself, <laughs> but I don't feel it from people, if that makes sense. Yeah. I And I, I that's what I envisioned was the pressure of wanting to deliver the word of God the way he wants you to. I think that's more of where my that word comes into my mind of pressure is just wanting to get it right for yeah. God's glory. You know, oh, man, I listen, Barbara, every Sunday I get up there, whether I'm hosting or, or preaching or doing 714, I, I feel, again, I, I use the word responsibility probably more than pressure. I, yeah. I feel a conviction that, that I have to communicate this appropriately. And so the hours that I spend like on messages and in preparing are probably ridiculous because I, I do feel that responsibility. And, and at times I have to back off and go, wait a minute, you're, you're pressurizing yourself done. God's not intending for you to feel pressure. You just have to remember it's your responsibility, but he'll take care of the details if you're willing to put in the time. So, yeah. Okay. A couple things. One thing is you have such humility. You do share the stage. You preach maybe, is it twice a month? Three times? I, I preach twice a month on four Sunday months, and I preach three times a month on five Sunday months. Oh, okay. I feel like yeah. that has to be helpful, too. It's good for everybody to uh, allow these other pastors to speak for different reasons. But I just love your humility. You always introduce yourself as one of the pastors when you are the pastor. Okay. All caps. And something else. <laughs> oh. Okay. So obviously I have a podcast and I always say to myself like, oh man, I wish I could just freely flow, right? No, it takes me hours, probably a couple hours to write a script. And I need a script when I'm recording a solo podcast. If it's a guest, it's just a conversation. But I always admire that about you and other pastors who can just get up there and give your, the sermon. I mean, you have your notes, but you must spend a lot of time preparing or does it just come easier? You just said that you spent a lot of time looking at the messages, but how long does it take you to prepare for the message each week? Yeah, I would say we were just talking about this in staff meetings this morning, which is interesting. When I know I'm speaking on a Sunday, it, it consumes a lot of my week because my mind is always on it. Mm -hmm. So I can be having coffee with someone and I'll get an idea and I have to pull out either a notepad or my phone and I'll say, Hey, can you excuse me for 10 seconds? I got to write something down or I'll, or I'll forget it. And I text myself a point in the message or I'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning. This happens all the time. And I get an idea or a story to be the example or the illustration for a certain point. So I kind of figured it out the other day. I probably spend about 25 hours for every message that I do oh. between research, 
writing and thoughts. And I usually, by the time I write it out, it might be 12 or 13 pages long. And then I bring it back to a, a two or three page outline with illustrations and prompts. And then I do it by the time I do it in the first service, then most of it is memorized. And I rarely, you know, I don't look at my notes hardly at all at that point. So yeah, that's kind of my process. I come back on Saturdays and I Saturday evenings and I'll go through it one more time and and then I feel like I'm ready to go on Sundays. So Wow. Okay, well let me just tell you how I much I appreciate sense. all of that time and energy and effort because I I know just for the little tiny bit that I do behind a screen where nobody can even see me how much work it takes. So I knew it had to be more work than most people realize. So man, but it shows every time you are up there on the stage preaching is you prepared and you did all that you had to do to deliver a smooth message to all of us. So we get to benefit from all of that. Okay. I know we're running close on time, but I do want to point out like one of the things that really, I don't know, just is so amazing about you is your ability to be bold about everything, but especially touchy topics, but always with love. And so I'm just wondering when it is a very sensitive topic, so many different things we can go, we won't have to go into detail about anything, but does that require extra? I'll go wherever you want to go. Well, I'm just wondering if it requires extra prayer and time on your part, or you just know, like, this is the truth. This is the word. And, you know, I'm never intending to offend anybody, but. God's word is God's word and whatever it is, that's, that's Mm. what it is. That's what I have to be responsible for sharing and delivering. Yeah. It's like the big topics that, you know, like homosexuality is the big one. The, how we dealt with COVID was just monstrous. The, the, how you deal with the abortion issue, how, how we talk about like what's happening in Israel and, I think what guides me, Barbara, and and I feel like this is totally God-driven, is he gives us divine direction from his word, which divine, it just means led by God, divine direction from his word. But it, it what's so cool about it is if you follow out why he gives us divine direction, is there's always very practical reasons as to why. And so my goal is always to approach hard topics mm-hmm. from a Bible-based practical perspective. Well, like, well, of course, God isn't for let's let's use this. It's a big topic, but of course God isn't excited about homosexuality and he isn't okay with it because his design for us was to procreate and fill the earth with other humans. That's what he built us for. So when we go outside of that design, we're going against God's plan. And I feel like that's way less offensive and it's easier to wrap your mind around the thought of, oh yeah, I mean, there's a reason that a male and a female body fits together the way it does and a male and a male body doesn't fit together the same way, nor a female and a female. So when it's a real practical, when you approach it from a very practical standpoint of how and why we were created that way, like I I deal with guys that are struggling with homosexuality all the time. I had conversations, you know, this last weekend and, you know, we have men sitting in our church, like that is their struggle. And we don't ever go, well, if that's your struggle, you need to move on. We go, if that's your struggle, as long as you're struggling with it and you're not okaying it, but like the difference is when you choosing, you go, okay, well, it's okay. I'm going to justify it. Then that changes things. So I really try to approach it with, first of all, no matter what you're going through, I love you. But don't mistake my grace for acceptance of sin. And I think that is so important for us all to know that we don't receive God's mercy and and mistake that as his approval. Larry talked about that this last weekend. And that has guided so much Uh, That mindset has guided me through a lot of minefields going, okay, I don't, just because I'm saying I love you and I'm 
merciful and graceful and I want to help you through this doesn't mean that I approve of these behaviors. So I'm firm on going, this is what the Bible says about it. Now, with that being said, I'm here to walk you through the struggles of life, whether your struggles is paying your taxes or your struggles is homosexuality. We're here to walk that through with you and we're not going to leave your side in those situations. And so that's just been my guiding light. I feel like that is New Testament truth and it's not as complicated as we make it sometimes. Yeah. If we all go to the source and go to the word, we can find out what we need to know for ourselves. But that's part of the reason I think a lot of people don't want to go to the word is because maybe they're living contrary to it and they just don't want to go there. So, But I think it's important that because I've heard different pastors say things like, I'm going to stay in my lane. And I just think, is there a lane? There, There's only one lane and it has to be God's lane, <laughs> his word, right? You can't, we can't pick and choose the parts of God's word that work for our life. We have to take it all. Yeah. No, I mean, you're preaching the truth, right? I mean, it is what it is. And in American culture, though, it has become very challenging because church has turned at times into business rather than ministry. And when you run a business, you run your business based on your clientele's wants and needs. When you run a church and you're leading a church, you lead the church based on the truth of the word of God and moral morality based on what the Bible says. That's two totally different things. And the church loses its way when we start running the church more like a business than the ministry. Yeah, agreed. Okay. One last thing is I just, I have something to say on tithing. I'm really grateful that we approach tithing the way that we do in our church. And and even the last church that I went to before I moved down here to Southern California for about over 10 years, let's just say I attended a church by myself. This was, you know, almost 20 years ago. And I just, I don't know if the church never brought it up or talked about it. Or if I just was too immature and unwilling and never heard the message with my heart, but I didn't tithe for all of those years at this one church that I attended. And I feel so bad. I'm like, God, let me get rich because I'm going to give back to that church. I should have been giving this whole time. I love tithing. And it's at the point now where I can't, I can't not tithe to the kingdom. And I know a lot of people struggle and hold on and, and, have different perspectives when it comes to tithing. But I just want to say thank you because I love the way our church approaches this this thing. It's such a blessing to me. Yeah. It's a it's a tough one because the perception of of the world around us is that, you know, churches at times they just they just want your money. And the reality is when we learn to be generous, God, we crush greed, right? With generosity just stomps out greed and it's it has nothing to do with what we want as a church in terms of big financial gain it has everything the bible is centered around everything teaching us to live the kind of life we've been called to live and anyway i i'm glad that you love that i do too i think it's one of the fundamentals of learning how to live a life for Christ. When you can give financially, according to the word of God, you live your life totally different. And when you're generous versus, you know, greedy, life looks so different. It looks so different. It really um, does. When God gets the first fruits, yeah, when God gets the first fruits instead of the leftovers, then what's left over is plenty. Uh -huh. You know? Yeah. So. Yeah. I love it. So I just wanted to mention that. Okay. Anyway. Okay. So I, before I let you go, I do have a few questions that I ask every guest before we end. Is that okay with you? Yeah. I love it. Okay. It's called bless me with three. And the first question is what is, and this should be, well, I don't know if this should be easier or more difficult for you because you are a pastor and you know so much scripture, but do you have a favorite scripture, a go-to? I, I have a few um, favorite scriptures. 
Um, here's what's interesting. They're actually both out of Ephesians. One of them is kind of the key scripture from our church, which is Ephesians 3.20. And it's a faith-building scripture. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his power that is work that is at work within us. That was a that's a prayer Paul prayed over the Ephesian church. And it's a prayer that I pray over Coast City all the time that God would do immeasurably more over our crew than we could ever imagine. And then and then Ephesians five one and this this probably my favorite one out of the two is be imitators of God Therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It just reminds me to be to smell good to other people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I think about that a lot, too. That's a good one. And I'm 99.99999% sure that Gretchen chose Ephesians 3.20 as her favorite verse also. So two peas in a pod. Okay. The second question is, what is your favorite book? Oh, man. That is really hard. Can I give you my favorite book right now? Yeah. I have tons of favorite books. So. Give the favorite one right now. Okay. Okay. Here's one of my, I'll give you two. One of my all-time favorites is a book, is a book by Max Lucado called Just Like Jesus. Super easy book to read. And it just, it's just, a, it's the most beautiful writing and, per, you know, like perspective of Jesus. I love it. So that is one of my favorite books. I love the book called The Shack by William Paul Young. And then for men, I'm giving you all these books. For men, there's a book I love called Becoming a King and uh, by Morgan Snyder. So, Okay, that's good. Three books. Got it. I wrote them all down. Okay. And the last one might be. I have have an entire library. That's Sorry, I have an entire library in my office. So (laughs) I could give you 20 books. (laughs) We'll go with three for now. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Now, who inspires you in okay. life? And this could be multiple people or anybody that comes to mind when you think about who inspires you to be better and to keep going and doing what you're doing well. That's such a good question. So first and foremost, you know, my wife and kids are, are definitely my inspiration. I look in their eyes and I just am like, wow. Mm-hmm. I feel so incredibly blessed that they were given to be, they were part of my life. And so I am, as, as a family, I feel so inspired by my, my wife and children and our family. And, you know, as, as humans outside of my family, I have some weird ones that you're probably going to laugh at, but there's this, <laughs> this old Anglican preacher, a pastor, priest named Malcolm Geit, who is a poet. And I'm super inspired by by this old poet named Malcolm Geit. And then and then the guy you heard preach on Sunday, Larry Osborne has been a huge source of inspiration in my life. And he's one of my closest friends. And I just I couldn't say enough about the way that he has inspired me personally to do what I do. So, Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Well, I just want to let you know that we love you. We appreciate you so much. You are so anointed and amazing at what you do, and you're a gift to all of us. You are our pickleball playing, Harley riding. I don't know what else you do. We didn't, we've already been talking for a good hour, and there's so many things still that I feel like I need to talk to you about, but we'll catch up. But we just love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for taking this time. I know you got to, are you preaching this weekend? You got to probably prepare for that. No, I'm not actually. I'm off for the next two Sundays. I kind of planned it this way. I had to do three or four weeks. I never do three weeks in a row. I did three weeks in a row and I've got three people scheduled in a row. And then I'm going to try to finish the Christmas season myself. So not everybody else has to speak during the holidays. Oh, perfect. There you go. 
You got some time then to R&R. Okay, well, thank you again. And we'll be talking to you soon. Love you to death. I love what you're doing on here. I think this is incredible. So way to go. Thank you. Appreciate that. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.